I remember a cartoon that I saw years ago. The first frame of the cartoon showed a man holding on to what appeared to be a root sticking out from a cliff face, and below him there was this terrible drop. It was obvious falling would be a very dangerous thing, and above him was an extended cliff. There was no way he could climb back up that, and he was calling out for help. Help me, somebody help me. I'm hanging on for my life, somebody help me. And after a little while he realized no one was up there, so he changed his cry for help, and he said, God help me. And in the next scene in the cartoon, you see God at the top of the cliff. I will admit that God had a remarkable resemblance to Charlton Heston in, in the Ten Commandments, but still it was obvious it was God. And God says, I'm here, my son. What do you need? And the man hanging on to the root said, what do you mean, what do I need? I've fallen off a cliff. Throw me a rope down. And God said, I'm really sorry. I don't have a rope, but let go and I will catch you. The man said, no, are you kidding me? Throw a rope down, find a vine, find something that you can throw down to save me. And God said, I don't have anything, but let go and I will catch you. And then there was silence. And God said, are you still down there? And the man said, is there anyone else up there? Now, we would probably be in the same boat as that man if we had fallen off a cliff, we were hanging on to a rope, and we heard a voice from on high, and we couldn't tell who the voice belonged to or where it was coming from, and the voice told us to do something that seemed completely inconsistent with life, we would be in the same boat. We would not risk our lives to let go of that branch to see if God would catch us. We would not do that. Let me ask you this morning, what do you believe so strongly that you base your life on it? What do you believe so strongly that you order your life around those beliefs? And I know we're in church. The official answer is Jesus. We will get there, I promise. But I'm going to suggest a couple of other options for you that might at least get you to thinking. We believe that the sun will come up every morning. Even if we get up very early before dawn, we still know that the sun is going to come up. Even if we get up and the clouds cover the sky and there's thunder and lightning and driving rain, we still believe the sun is there. We've been taught through the years via science that the earth rotates around the sun, the days get longer, the days get shorter. It seems so simple. We would not doubt the presence of the sun, and yet generations ago people did. They would offer sacrifices to all kinds of gods just to make sure that when the winter came, the sun didn't go away completely, and then in the spring they would offer sacrifices again, sacrifices of thanksgiving, because the sun was coming back. We believe that we can completely rely on the sun to come up every morning. What if you got up one morning? Let's just say you set your alarm clock for 6.30. You got up this time of year, 6.30. Dawn is, should be breaking. 
You should be able to see dew on the grass outside your house. And what you saw instead was the midnight sky. No clouds, just stars. You would look at your clock and go, hmm, is my clock wrong? You would look at your phone and say, no, no, my phone just tells me this is the right time. You would go turn your television on and find that every channel had the most current news story about the fact that the earth had stopped spinning. And you discovered that you were now on the dark side of the earth with no hope of seeing the sun again. How would you feel? You would have to rearrange your entire life. You would feel that both God and science had betrayed you. So what we believe strongly enough to base our lives on really is important. Think about another, another suggestion. Think about driving. We get in a car, several tons of metal with wheels, and we believe that the people around us are going to drive according to traffic laws, and they're going to drive safely, and that we can all trust that we will be safe on the roads. That's what we believe when we get in our cars to go anywhere. Have you ever been to Italy? If you've ever been to Italy and driven down a street in Italy, you may have noticed that every car parked on the side of the street has a dent, a ding, a scrape, a missing bump, or a missing mirror. All of these signs that people in Italy don't have the same belief in traffic laws that we do. When you get to a major intersection in Italy, you discover that traffic lights are mere suggestions, not expectations. They believe differently than we believe. I've been on mission trips in a number of places, including in a place that Mulberry Street has gone and will continue to go. I'm really excited about that. I look forward to going to the Dominican Republic with you. I've been to Barahona. I've worked with Pastor Pedro. One time we were down there with a group of people. We had to go back to Santo Domingo to pick up someone who was traveling later than the rest of the group. The young man who was one of our guides drove to Santo Domingo, and I went with him. We were going to run several errands and then go to the airport. When you get off the main wide four and five lane streets in Santo Domingo, you are in neighborhoods, and no intersection has a traffic light. There's not a stop sign to be seen. There's not a yield sign. There's nothing. After approaching several intersections like that and figuring out how to get through, I finally looked at the young man driving and I said, Chagi, how do you know who has the right of way? His answer was very simple. It depends on who has the most nerve. I said, okay, Chagi, I'm ready. Go ahead. Get me through this intersection. And yet here in America, we get in our cars, we trust that people are going to abide by traffic laws, they're going to drive safely, and because of that, we're willing to risk our lives and the lives of our families. So what we believe so strongly that we will risk our lives on it really does matter. It's not a rhetorical question. It's, in fact, a question that we're asking the confirmands to answer in their next meeting.
On Sunday, the 30th of August, we will have Confirmation Sunday. The congregational questions will be asked in the morning worship services. The confirmands and their families and their mentors will gather in the sanctuary at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, and we will have the, the confirmation service. We are working very diligently to either be able to live stream that or to record it and put it out so all of the church can participate in something that is so important. But leading up to that, we are asking the confirmands to write a creed. A creed is a statement of belief. We're asking them to decide what they believe about Jesus and put it in writing as a way of saying, this is my personal creed, this is what I believe strongly enough that I'll base my life on it. No, the question, what do you believe strongly enough to base your life on, is not a rhetorical question. In fact, it's a question that Jesus actually asked his disciples. Hear these words from the 16th chapter of Matthew. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Jesus began this conversation with his disciples by saying, what are other people saying about me? Who do they say I am? Well, that was a relatively easy question for the disciples to answer. They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. Jesus was being compared to the spiritual greats of the faith, to the, to the ancient prophets. There was a compliment in there, but there was also danger and a potential condemnation. The compliment came because if Jesus was being compared to the prophets, that meant people were paying attention to him. They were listening to what he was saying. At least some people had decided that what he was saying was important. So there's the compliment. Not only were they listening to what he was saying, but they were watching him carefully, waiting to see what he might do. I mean, John the Baptist wore camel hair and ate locust and honey. Maybe Jesus would act like that. That's not the mental picture that I have of Jesus, but that indicates the kind of expectation they might have had for him. Jesus was compared to Elijah. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Maybe Jesus would do something like that. What he did instead was calm the water, heal the sick, raise the dead. Jesus was compared to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. We know that Jesus stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus and he wept. 
So all of these things indicated the interest that people had in Jesus, but they also indicated the danger, because the danger of being a prophet was that people would eventually get tired of you telling them that something in their lives had to change so that they could live a life that more closely pleased God and met God's expectations. John the Baptist had been beheaded. Jesus had already faced danger in his own hometown when he preached in the synagogue. And now the disciples are saying, the people think you're prophet, which was a warning to Jesus to be careful. Jesus then looked at the disciples. I can just imagine him looking at every one of them, one at a time, straight in the eye, and then he asked the question that everybody knew was coming, who do you say I am? Peter was the one with the courage to answer. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter didn't understand what he was saying. He had this image in his mind, like every other Israelite did, of a warrior king who would ride a horse carrying armor and a sword and a shield and go into Jerusalem and throw Rome out and bring peace and prosperity back into the country so that they could rule themselves. That was the image. Jesus knew that that was not where he was going. Jesus knew that he was trying to create a new image for the word Messiah, a new set of expectations, a new understanding. Peter didn't know any of that. Peter demonstrates how little he actually knew in just the very next passage when Jesus says he's going to Jerusalem to be killed, and Peter says, no, that will never happen. Peter didn't understand until after the crucifixion and the resurrection what it meant to say that Jesus was the Messiah. Now here's the good news, Jesus wasn't waiting on perfection and full understanding. Jesus knew that Peter didn't understand. All he wanted was a heart willing to be open to what he was teaching and a spirit with enough courage to be able to speak those words, you are the Messiah. Because a willing heart and a courageous spirit created a space for Jesus to work in the lives of Peter and every other person since who has made that same profession of faith so that we become the community on which Jesus builds his church. That statement of faith becomes what brings us into the community that helps us become stronger disciples that helps us share our faith with others, making that statement, whether we fully understand it or not, indicates that we're willing to take a step toward Jesus and invite him to work in our lives and invite him to make that statement something that we believe in so strongly that we base not only this life but our eternal lives on it. Jesus looked at Peter and congratulated him for making that statement of faith. He will look at us and offer us the same words of congratulations if we will just make that statement and open our hearts to him. 
Now, those of you who have studied Scripture know that there will come a day when Jesus looks you in the eye and asks you that question. You are welcome to answer that question today. You are welcome to answer that question by creating a statement of faith, maybe even writing it down by saying, Jesus, this is what I believe to be true about you, and I base my life on what I'm saying. You are welcome. You are encouraged. You are invited to do that and to do it today if you haven't already. Or you can do it later because there will come a time at the end of time when you will stand in front of a holy God and Jesus will ask you that question. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Ladies and gentlemen, it is not a rhetorical question. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.